Daniel is, uh, it is a great book which will help you, force you to understand your Bible from cover to cover. Uh, there's a lot of history there and there's uh, much that you need to understand by way of background in order to understand the context in which Daniel was written. And so I want to try to set that context for you today um, and give you uh, some keys to understanding this book. But before I do that, I want to pray for us and then uh, we're going to jump in, all right? Well, Lord in heaven, I thank you that um, you are sovereign over all of creation. I thank you, Father, that uh, no military, no government, uh, no power on this earth, uh, even rivals uh, your strength and your knowledge. I thank you, Father, that in your uh, great strength, and in your righteousness, and in your perfection, Lord, and in your holiness, you are also full of grace, and mercy, and love, and kindness toward us. I thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom this book points toward, and Father, for the expectation that one day he will return. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be made ready more and more every day. Would you give us understanding to this book, and, um, and clarity and discernment, not that we would become smarter sinners, Lord, but that our hearts would be changed and that our will would uh, be conformed to yours. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, what I want to do today is I want to take um, one step back, if you will, in order to take hopefully three steps forward. And what I want to do is, is I want to do three things. The first one is I want to give you an overview of the book of Daniel. And so when you walked in today, you should have received a chart and uh, it looks a little uh, engineerish, right? And uh, but it's filled with detail there. And I want to explain to you um, what is on this chart. And then what I want to do is I want to take a quick look at chapter two, and then I want to give you guys a challenge and allow you then to break out into your groups. If you have your Bibles, do me a favor and turn to the table of contents. Okay. Go ahead and turn to the table of contents. And I want to show you something just real quickly. And this is something that most folks um, perhaps have never realized. And uh, until somebody comes along and shows it to them, and then all of a sudden it's one of those deals you never forget and are glad you know. But in your Old Testament, you have 39 books. It's really easy to remember. Three letters in the word old, nine letters in the word testament. See, you already learned something, all right? 39 books are in your Old Testament. Your Old Testament is not, the books are not listed chronologically. So if you were to read, beginning in Genesis, and read all the way through, and you don't understand how the Old Testament's put together, you're going to be a little confused. Instead of being listed chronologically, it's broken up by groups. So the first 17 books are historical. The next five books are poetical, and then the final 17 books are prophetical. So the first 17 books from Genesis through Esther, those are 17 books, and they are historical. So draw a line under Esther. And just outside there, write historical. <clears throat> and then from Job through Song of Solomon, you have five poetical books. So Draw a line under Song of Solomon and just write poetical. And then Isaiah through Malachi, 
Those are the prophetical books written by prophets. So the 17 historical books tell the story of the nation of Israel. The poetical and prophetical books, they fit within that history. It's important to understand that because when you're trying to understand where Daniel fits in the context of which he wrote this book, you have to understand a little bit about the history. You know, it's just the first thing. I have four kids at home, ten and younger. And so sometimes at home we, we build puzzles. And I tell them all the time, the first thing you do when you build a puzzle is what? You, you, you try to build a border. Find the pieces that have straight edges and then make your border. And then once you have your border, you can fill in all the other pieces. Well, it's the same thing here when you're trying to understand Scripture. You have to understand the border. You have to understand the framework. You have to understand where does it fit. So you have 17 historical books, five poetical books, and then 17 prophetical books. Those 17 prophetical books, they're broken up in a couple of different categories. There's the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are just simply those that are longer, and they're listed first. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those are known as the major prophets. They're longer. All the other ones are known as minor prophets. It's not because their message was less significant. It's just that they were shorter. Now, one more subcategory. Of the, of the prophets, there are those that are grouped according to their history. You have pre-exilic prophets, exilic prophets, and post-exilic prophets. I may have lost you just right there, right? Stick with me. God's intention for the nation of Israel is found in Exodus 19.6. You don't have to turn there, but just write it down. You can look at it as a group. And basically what he says there is, I've redeemed you out of Egypt. I've called you to myself so that you can become a kingdom of priests. Essentially, what a priest does, he's an intercessor. He's a witness. He's a truth teller. And what God is saying is, I'm going to use you, nation of Israel, to reach all the nations of the earth so they can know of my love for them. And they too can have a relationship with me. Just like he works through the church. And you, today, he worked through the nation of Israel back then. But the nation of Israel rebelled against God. And God sent prophets over and over and over again to warn them, if you continue to rebel against my will and my word, it, trouble is coming. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to remove you from the land of promise, and I'm going to allow a foreign nation to come and take you captive. And so the prophets who wrote before this foreign nation came, before the men went into exile, were literally carried, arrested, if you will, and carried into bondage. Those were known as the pre-exilic prophets. So Isaiah would have been written before the exile. And he warns the people, 66 chapters, just to be real clear. If you don't repent, trouble is coming. And trouble's name is Babylon. And Babylon is led by Nebuchadnezzar. He is the ruler. But Isaiah also offers hope. Because in wrath, God always remembers mercy. And so, although there was warning of trouble to come, there was also a message of hope through the book of Isaiah. So you have the pre-exilic prophets, and then you have the exilic prophets, meaning the prophets that wrote during the time of 
captivity. And that is where you find Daniel. So when you read Daniel 1 and, and you, are, uh, you find that Daniel and his friends are in Babylon, you may be asking yourself, well, how in the world did we get here? What's happening here? What's the context? Well, it's God's people have lived in rebellion against him. And as a consequence of that, they have been carried, they have been overthrown and carried into captivity. And the world's superpower of the day is Babylon, and it's led by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel and his three friends are righteous men. And although they are living in an unrighteous culture, under an unrighteous regime, they remain faithful to the one true God. And they're a picture, they're an example of faithfulness in the midst of a completely pagan culture. Now, Daniel 1 through 6 is probably um, the more popular portion of the book. If you've done a Bible study before, if you've ever read through Daniel on your own, then you probably made it to chapter 6. And then you got to 7 and on, and you went, okay, now uh, this is confusing and a little bit bizarre, and perhaps you quit. Daniel 1 through 6 are the stories that we read to our kids. 7 and on, we're like, I don't know, right? And so what I want to do is, just real quickly, is I want to give you an overview, and that's why I put this chart in your hand, and help, help you get the big picture here. So I told you where we are historically. That we're, this is during the time of the exile. Well, this book can be divided in a number of different ways. You have the introduction in chapter 1, and then you have the prophetic plan for the Gentiles. If you were to read this um, in the original language, the first part here is actually written in Aramaic. Your Old Testament is generally written in Hebrew for the Jewish nation, the Israelites, and then you have your New Testament written in Greek. But this little part right here um, is written in Aramaic. And then the latter part of the book, chapters 8 through 12, is written in Hebrew, and it's the prophetic plan for Israel. So the first part of the book really concentrates on what God's going to do through the Gentile nations, and then what he's going to do for the Israelites is the latter part. Or you can look at it like this. The first six chapters focus on the stories of Daniel. There's six hero stories, and it's historical primarily. Or 7 through 12, that there's visions of Daniel. It's more apocalyptic in nature, and there are four apocalyptic visions. Still with me? It's early in the morning for Daniel, I know. Here we are. Don't be confused by this. All right, Wake up your partner, your friend, your buddy. Chapters 1, you see that it says chapters, and it goes 1 through 12. And then it says chronology. This is key. This is me giving you a gift. If you are awake, this is the time, or asleep, this is the time to wake up so you're not confused later. What I mean by this is what happens if you wanted to read the book in chronological order, you would read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and then you would read chapter 7. Then you'd read chapter 8. And then you'd go back to chapter 5. You see that? So the 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 9, 5, that's the chronology. Daniel has very specifically and purposefully divided the book not to give you it in chronological order, but to divide it to show you this is God's plan for the Gentiles, this is God's plan for the Hebrews. That was his goal. Okay? So because it's not written chronologically, 
what makes it sometimes confusing is, is it jumps from ruler to ruler. So that's why in chapters 1 through 4, Nebuchadnezzar is the king over Babylon. But then in chapter 5, Belshazzar, and then chapter 9, Darius. And then chapter 7 and 8, Belshazzar again. And then Darius, and then Cyrus. Does that make sense? So, don't be confused as the uh, narrative shifts back and forth there. I've listed for you a couple of titles. There's nothing uh, inspired by that, just titles that I've put on each chapter. What uh, are some of the key verses, and then what the contents are uh, of what happens in each of those chapters. Hopefully this will be uh, a a good little resource for you um, as you make your way through this book. In chapter 2, you know that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And um, he uh, has this dream, and he wants someone to interpret the dream, someone to tell him what it means. So he gathers all the wise men around him, uh, his counselors, and he says, Hey, I want, you to, I want you to tell me the meaning of my dream. They go, Great, well, um, go ahead and tell us the dream. We'll tell you what it means. He goes, No, 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 you, you don't get it. I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And uh, they're like, hey, no, you don't get it. Nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you what you dreamed and then tell you the meaning of the dream. You have to tell us the dream. And so he goes, hey, you know what? I'm getting rid of all of you. All of you are going to die. You're, you're, you're of no value to me. I want somebody that can tell me my dream. And we see that it's here that God raises up Daniel. And God reveals to Daniel not only the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but what he dreamt. And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar then gave Daniel a position of honor um, and prestige. And so, but what he dreamt was of a statue. And what you see here um, on this chart um, is a little bit more about how this makes sense interpretively. Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 mirror each other. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, Amir, you can change the slide. In Daniel 2, we read of the statue having a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, ten toes of iron and clay, and a stone that smites that image. If you were to read forward in Daniel chapter 7, which we'll get to, You'll read about a vision with lion with eagle's wings, a bear with three ribs, a leopard with four heads, a dreadful beast, a little horn, an ancient of days. You can draw a line from head of gold to lion with eagle's wings, arms and chest of silver, bed, bear with three ribs. Daniel's communicating the same thing using different images. And so what I've done here at the bottom is I've tried to show you um, what is the head of gold and the lion with the eagle's wings, what it represents. And as you read through chapter 2 and you read the interpretation, you know that Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. You are representative of Babylon. So what Daniel's, what he does through chapter 2 in describing this statue is he is walking through what is going to happen historically. So if you've ever wondered, is the Bible God's word, this is a good book to study. The prophecy and the accuracy of Daniel is amazing. And we're going to see that play out more and more uh, as we study this book. 
So, but what you see is Babylon comes first, is the, is the world power of the day, led by Nebuchadnezzar. And then Daniel says, hey, you're the head of gold, but then there's an arm um, and chest of silver. And that represents Persia. Persia is led by Cyrus, who is called by name in the book of Isaiah 100, 100 plus years before he was ever even born. And then you have Greece. All right? After Persia is the end of the story of the Old Testament. Greece comes along to world power with Alexander the Great in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That 400 years that span there. And then after that, you have Rome comes to power. And you remember, Rome is the occupying force of the day when Christ is born. And then Daniel speaks of, going forward, he speaks of the Antichrist kingdom and then the return of Christ with the stone that smites that image. All right? So, use this chart, refer to it, I hope it's a help to you, and will give you kind of insight and key to understanding as you, as you move forward in studying this book. Proverbs 21.1 says this. It says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You could write that verse as the thematic verse for the whole book of Daniel. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is on his throne. And God is sovereign. God is sovereign when uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and overtakes Judah. God is sovereign over uh, the circumstances in which Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. God is sovereign throughout our lives. God is sovereign over all that's happening in the Middle East right now. All the revolt and all the upheaval. God remains sovereign. God is on his throne. You know, I have, uh, I've mentioned to you I have four little kids and um, and so they learn those songs, you know, Jesus loves me, and uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I was thinking about how simple that little, that little song is, and somehow we teach it to our kids, he's got the whole world into, in his hands. And, you know, and daddy will sing that song, but how rarely does daddy allow the truth of that song that I sing so easily, in such a simple song, how, how often do I allow the implications of that song to change my perspective on the world in which I'm living in today. The daily reality of God's sovereignty in your life and in mine. If you really believe that the Lord has the whole world in his hands, and Daniel illustrates that in fact, oh yes he does. He has a divine plan and he is working out that plan. And no one, no world power, no superpower, no government, nothing can stop it. Because he's bringing this world to a culmination of where his son is going to return. And he will fulfill his plan and his promises to the nation of Israel. And gang, one day, Christ will return. And he will rule in Jerusalem. On the throne, just as he promised Abraham and David and all the Old Testament saints. And as he promises us. God is sovereign and he's on his throne. My challenge to you uh, this morning is to read uh, Psalm 2 together. You've read Daniel 2. 
And I want you to review that, but then I want you to read Psalm 2, which is where uh, the Lord talks about how the nations of the earth scheme and plot against God's sovereign will and His plan. That they think somehow, because they are in power, that they can change God's plan for the Messiah to come. And you know what it says? It says the Lord in heaven laughs. He laughs at the nations of the earth and think that they are truly the ones who are in control. He laughs at those who think they don't need God. And he says, there'll be a day. There'll be a day where I will come and I will prove who the one true God is. So I want you to read Daniel 2, Psalm 2, and reflect on Proverbs 21.1 and get a big picture of God and who He is. And then practically speaking, what impact, if any, do these truths have in our daily lives? It's one thing to say He's got the whole world in His hands. It's one thing to say, yes, I can sign a doctrinal statement and say that I believe that God is sovereign. But what practical impact, if any, does that have, should it have, in our daily lives? And if it doesn't have any impact, then what does that say about the condition of our faith? What changes does the Lord want us to make? How can we be that Daniel who believes in the sovereign hand of God such that he was able to go by faith and approach the king and say, I'll tell you your dream long before he was even told the interpretation of the dream by the Lord. So this book will give you a great dose of God's sovereignty. It will expand your view of just how big God really is. I will encourage you that this book is inspired by God and is trustworthy. And it's amazing in its accuracy and its detail. I hope you're encouraged this morning. I hope you're encouraged that the same God who could orchestrate the world events in the time of Daniel is at work even right now. And if he's, he, he's at work with world affairs, he's at work in your business and in your home and in your heart. And you can find rest. You may not see the complete picture. You may only have a little bit of the border. But you need to know that he sees the complete picture with all the pieces of the puzzle put together. And gang, that inspires hope. That we're not just here by chance or by accident or that history happens by happenstance, but that God is intentional and purposeful, sovereign and in control. Let's pray. Well, Lord in heaven, I thank you for these men and their commitment to rise early, to come and learn a little bit more about your word. I pray, Lord, that um, you'd give us the discipline to study the book of Daniel that um, we would learn from it, and that, um, Father, we would be inspired, we'd be um, challenged and convicted. And I pray, Father, you give us the boldness, the courage, and the faith of Daniel. And, um, Lord, may we uh, serve as your representatives today. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.